y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, the host of NPR's Invisibilia, Elise Spiegel, and Hannah Rosen. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. I'm broadcasting from NPR West in Culver City, but my two wonderful guests today are in Washington, D.C. at NPR headquarters. As Betty said, Hannah Rosen, Elise Beagle, host of Invisibilia. Hey, guys. Hey. Invisibilia, one of my favorites. It is a podcast and radio show all about the invisible forces that influence human behavior. And we wanted you guys to come over to this show today and, like, take over our show because your fourth season just launched, and I'm happy about it. So this is the special It's Been a Minute Invisibilia Takeover episode. Woo! (laughs) Okay. It's like, yeah. It's like, it's those like TV shows that used to merge in the eight. Do TV shows? They even still do, do that. Shonda Rhimes just did a mashup of uh, Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't but watch it, it. it's not as. I feel like there was a moment in the eighties where it was just like, you know, all the shows were just like we're just going to be one show now. We're doing that today. I'm excited about it. That's right. I even brought a really fun song for you guys to celebrate. Oh. So I've heard that you all like to dance. And in previous seasons of your show, you've had little dance breaks. Mm-hmm. So I brought a dancey song that I'm really into this week. It's by an artist, a DJ named Sango. The song is called Conte a Todos, which is Portuguese for Tell Everyone. <laughs> This music is full of Latin American influences, some really great R&B samples. I like it a lot, and it makes me dance. Does it really make you dance? I'm dancing right now. You can't see it. (laughs) Elise is up on the table. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into it. We are each going to describe our week of news and everything else in just three words. Hannah, you're up first. Oh, there was so much news this week. Okay. Yeah, totally. Okay, here's my news. All right. My three words are Mm -hmm. epic eye roll. Mm. Epic eye roll. Is eye roll two separate words? I think it is. Okay, it is for the purposes of this show. Do you not think so? Yes, it is. Okay. Epic eye roll. (laughs) So there were two, this connects my two favorite incidents of this incredible week of news. Mm. One, both, both involve women taking on. Giant patriarchal establishment. Okay. (laughs) Not (laughs) in unconventional. Not with violence, not with protest but just by rolling their eyes, which is so much more effective because it's so diminishing. (laughs) Anyway, here are the two incidents. One involves a Chinese reporter. The situation is a press conference of the National People's Congress. Mm -hmm. And another reporter starts kind of spouting party lingo, like just a long paragraph of party lingo, which includes phrases like one belt, one road. Like she's basically speaking like a robot. And then Hmm. at the press conference, at the press conference, she's like, blah, 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 blah. And this becomes important on the Internet because this story broke the Chinese Internet. And then Hmm. this reporter standing next to her watches her spout the party lingo, gives her the one over, like looks her up and down from top to bottom and rolls her eyes. Why did she break the internet? Because it was a moment when China, again, was pretending like we're all totally unified. I mean, the Mm. vote to eliminate presidential term limits was 2,958 to two. And one of of the guys actually said, no disagreements, no differing points of view. So this like beautiful little encapsulated point of view was something that everybody in the country could just rally around. And it was so spontaneous and visceral. That's one eye roll. What's your second eye roll story? Stormy Daniels. Oh. Stormy Daniels 
I think the euphemism we use is adult film actress. Another way to describe her is the woman who claims to have had an affair with President Trump Mm -hmm. during the time that he was married. And she signed a non-disclosure agreement. She was paid to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Allegedly $130,000. Which, you know, frankly... It's it's like a lot of money. It's like a lot of money. I'll but, sign it. Yeah, she's willing to return them. <laughs> I will not talk about anything you want for one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. And this problem. story is playing out like the opposite of most stories play out these days. She's just funny. That's what I mean by the eye roll. Like if you check out her Twitter feed, really? somebody says to her, "Trying to mess with Trump is going to cause you a lot of problems. We will see to it." The point being, she's got like a lot of threatening troll situations, like physical threats. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like physical threats. And so what she types back is, "We." Your multiple personalities are yapping again. I roll. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's, She wrote I roll? She wrote I roll. I roll. Yeah. I roll is like her attitude. Well, she's kind of out trumping Trump in a way. I mean, essentially, she's using, like, there's an element of this, which is just like, if people are talking about me, I win. Yeah. <laughs> and essentially, she is tr- using Trump's techniques on and on him and and also is like refusing to accept shame. Which is, yeah, um, which is which is very Trumpian. Yeah, yeah. Elise, do you have three words? I have three words. What are they? They are one man band. Um, and okay. the stories that have been attracting me this week are Trump. Surprise, surprise. Because mm-hmm. um, it feels like you know. I mean, this week he kind of shed Rex Tillerson, and he's just like shedding. His Secretary these... of State or former Secretary of State. And I saw you know Maggie Haberman, who um, is this New York Times. Um, Star reporter. Star reporter. She's like awesome. the Trump whisperer. She is the Trump whisperer. Um, saw her kind of tweeting this week and she said, here's the thing that you need to understand. Um, for the first six months of the presidency, Trump was terrified of his mm. job. Mm. And now, like in the last couple of weeks or, or months, he's just decided, oh, no, I got this. Hmm. And part of that is just like I'm getting rid of Rex via Twitter. I'm like, you know, I mean. Gary Cohn left, his chief economic advisor. Like I'm just getting rid of people. He's a one-man band. He's a one-man band. As you said. And then the other like one-man band this week was Justin Blackman, the 16-year-old in North Carolina, who, you know, how all of the students kind of walked out at at 10 a.m. this week to protest. Yeah, there were a lot of walkouts in favor of gun, gun control. Yeah. Yeah, and he was in North Carolina at the Wilson Preparatory Academy in in Wilson, North Carolina, and Mm -hmm. he walked out, and he was the only one. Um, Hello, Twitter. There's going to be like six people watching this, hopefully. Then he took this video. It's National Walkout Day. I'm the only one in my school out here. Him standing in Um, front of his school. It's like a desert, and him. I didn't really get into much. No one really said anything besides my home teacher. Um, I'm in Spanish class right now. He let me walk out. He didn't really care. So it's going to be chilling here for the next 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Whether you agree with him or not, that's bravery. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. One man band. One man band. What do you got? I have three words. Spring them. Can't sit here. Hmm. Okay. It's where, my favorite. Where can't we sit? Well, so there are a few examples of places where people used to be where they can't be anymore. A lot of in-group, out-group stuff happening this week that has piqued my interest. Um, First, 
in the U.K., 23 Russian diplomats can no longer sit in that country. They were expelled from the country this week over Russia's alleged use of a military-grade nerve agent against a Russian who was kind of a double agent for the U.K. Was that, like, that was like a story from a different decade. It seems like it. Well, you know, there was a statement from the U.K., the U.S., France, Germany about this attack, and they said that the use of this nerve agent was the first offensive use of a nerve agent in Europe since the Second World War. Really? Theresa May, prime minister of the Hmm. U.K., called it attempted murder. And so now the U.K. has kicked out these 23 Russian diplomats Mm -hmm. so they can no longer sit there anymore. The second thing uh, was, as you alluded to earlier, you guys, um, the ongoing departures from the Trump White House. You know, Rex Tillerson, now former secretary of state, as you said, was fired via tweet. And it's another sign that Donald Trump is telling the folks that were sent to be his minders, you can't sit here anymore. It's just Mm -hmm. me and my friends, Mm -hmm. my true people. Um, And the third thing that I found the most interesting uh, was how... Connor Lamb, this Democrat who won a special election for a House seat in Pennsylvania, how he is the newest, perhaps, symbol or question or story about who the Democratic Party will let sit with them in the midterms. Yeah, because so yeah, he really distanced himself from Nancy he, Pelosi. Yeah, he, he totally was like, I, you know how you sometimes you sit on the... Uh, subway while I, you know, I take the metro sometimes and mm-hmm. somebody sits like four seats away from you and you're like, what? why? It's like, am I that bad? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what That's Connor what Lamb did. did this week yeah. to Nancy Pelosi, Democratic right. House Minority Leader. So Connor Lamb ran uh, in a district that Trump had won by 20 points uh, in the 2016 election and Connor Lamb squeaked out a victory by a few hundred votes, but he did it by running as kind of not a Democrat. He officially de- denounced the leader of his party, Nancy Pelosi. He did not let any high-level national Democrats come out and stump for him, except for Joe Biden. And so my question out of this race is, who are the Democrats going to let sit with them in the midterms? Are they okay with yeah. Dems as moderate as Connor Lamb? Are they going to try to revert back to their base? Like, how big of a party, how big of a table, how big of a cafeteria table do the Democrats want to have this fall? Right. Are they going to go are they going to go really radical or are they going to use this as the template for running? Is yeah. That, yeah. Well, and what's really interesting right now is like no one's really in charge of the Democratic Party. With right. the Republicans, yeah. Trump's in charge. He's pulled that party in his direction towards him and they've all followed. But the Democrats really there is there's no chef in the kitchen, just a bunch of pots and pans it seems. Mhm. All right, guys, we're going to go to a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about what it means to engineer norms in this political age we find ourselves in. We're going to play our favorite game, Who Said That? And we'll also call someone who has a connection uh, to the student walkouts we saw this week. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover Card. You check your email or social media all the time, but Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. 
All right, we are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here this week uh, on an Invisibilia takeover. Uh, the two hosts of that wonderful NPR show are here to wreak havoc on It's Been a Minute. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey. No, we're just going to make you cry and have feelings. <laughs> yeah. can, can, can you do that for us? How are you feeling? No, how are you feeling? Mm, let's not go there, y'all. Really? Well, yeah, we can. We can go there. <laughs> How are Later. you feeling? Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> the hosts of Invisibilia are Elise Spiegel and Hannah Rosen. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. Quick question before we hop back into the news. Yes. Uh, this week, the World Happiness Report is out. This is through an initiative of the United Nations. Um, they use a lot of metrics to determine which countries are the happiest. This year, Finland was mm-hmm. first. The U.S. was 18th, uh, but the metrics they used were GDP, per gross domestic product per capita, social support, healthy life expectancy, social freedom, generosity, and the absence of corruption. My question to you is this. If you could add one personal metric that means a lot to you for your personal index of world happiness, what would it be? You know what? They need some diversity in that index metric situation because it ends up being countries that are homogenous and have really strong social safety nets because they're really diverse and resist letting immigrants in. And so that's why they're really happy because everybody is, you know, just kind of part of their unified tribe and and gets a lot of like social services from the government. Hmm. I feel like it's totally unfair. It always ends up being like Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, you know. So add one metric. Yeah. A fun metric that you would add. Access to poke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, let's, let's be honest about what is important here. Poke is the best. It's like sushi, but funner. Yeah. Poke is good. That was a great answer. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance, where we call up a listener somewhere out in the world and talk to them about the news in their neck of the woods. So this week, I wanted to talk about the school walkouts that we've seen across the country uh, with students protesting for stricter gun control laws. So I called up a listener, uh, and she's a parent of a high school student. Her name is Wendy Reddick. She is from Connecticut, and by virtue of where she lives, she has a very unique connection uh, to gun violence and the walkouts this week. Hey, Wendy. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for your time. Of course. Uh, So... (laughs) You are in Connecticut? Yes. Where in Connecticut? Newtown. Okay. Um, That is a town that all of us know. Um, So we called you this week because you have a perspective on these students and these walkouts. You have a son. Yeah, he's a freshman at Newtown High School. And you wrote in and told us that protests were handled very sensitively because it's Newtown. What happened there? Right. Well, that's part of it is because um, the Sandy Hook shooting um, happened. Of course, it was five years ago now. Those kids were so young, Mm -hmm. and the concern was to keep the media away as much as possible and to protect them as much as possible from, you know, further traumatizing them. Now, of course, they see these Parkland kids um, protesting and they're upset and they're angry that, you know, it's been five years and really nothing has happened. Mm. Uh, How did school leaders and parents handle students in Newtown protesting, given that this community has been so protective of its children since that Sandy Hook shooting? Did things happen differently with this protest there because of that history? 
Well, yes, there was a lot of controversy because um, the administration and, and quite frankly, some of the parents put up a lot of roadblocks and, you know, didn't really want the kids to do a protest. Or if they did do a protest, they wanted it to be very controlled. They wanted it Mm. inside the gym. They didn't want signs. If they did have signs, they didn't want the signs to say anything about the NRA or anything political. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of the fear I hear you saying that parents in your town had for these students who wanted to walk out was their privacy. And part of what I heard about why parents and school administrators in Newtown were reluctant to have students protest publicly is because news outlets would be out there trying to interview these children. Yeah. But what they did do, you know, they did have alternate um, options for kids that didn't want to do the protest. And, you know, even my son, for example, he went to the cafeteria and he studied his Latin. Really? He didn't protest? um, No, he didn't. No. Okay. He wanted to. Yeah. He he's not really political and he just he, he wanted to study. Yeah. And it's interesting talking with you about this. There's this juxtaposition, you know, some of the children that have been most affected by gun violence would be Newtown students. But there are also some of the students that family and administrators would most want to keep out of the public eye on a debate like this over gun control. Well, exactly. What do you think is the fix? I personally, my view has evolved since Sandy Hook. Um, part of why now I lived in the new in, in the town right next door at the time mm. of the shooting. Part of mm. why I ended up moving here was um, because I wanted to move to a community that treated its children the way that I saw that this community treated the children, especially at that time, at that age. Um, of course, now um, they're that much older. And I, you know, my views have evolved, I think, maybe even with the kids in that, you know, I, I believe they should have a First Amendment right to say, what they feel and to speak up for themselves and to protest, you know, Congress's lack of action on Mm. gun control. Mm. I'm sure it must have been a heavy week for everyone out there. Uh, What are you going to do for fun to lighten the mood for yourself Uh, this weekend? This weekend? Um, I am hoping that some of the snow will melt because we've we've had lots of snow and there's going to be more (laughs) snow coming. So I'm going to try and get outside in the in between and take a walk in the woods with the dogs and the kids. <laughs> yeah. What kind of dogs? Um, I have two dogs. They are both rescues. Um, one is uh, mostly um, American Bulldog, and the other yeah. one is, uh, I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I want you to have a wonderful weekend. I thank you for sharing your time and your story with me. And you've got to promise me to send us pictures of your dogs. Oh, I will. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Wendy Reddick in Newtown uh, for the call. Uh, back here in studio now with Elise Spiegel and Hannah Rosen. Elise, you covered Sandy Hook. I did. I did. That was. Uh, I think that was the worst reporting assignment I've ever had in my life. Yeah. I'm sympathetic to the adults saying we don't want 
the media to descend again. Mm-hmm. But also, I do think that there is there there's some power in doing what the mom said, giving allowing these kids to to control the narrative, to stand up. You know, there has been some movement on gun control since the shooting. Uh, Florida passed a new gun control measure last week that was signed by the governor. And this week, the U.S. House passed a school safety bill that approved more money for metal detectors in schools, uh, locks, and school safety training. But no uh, new gun control measures there. And it's not clear uh, if that bill will make it through the Senate and the president. Listeners want to talk to you for this segment. Hit us up. Tell us what's going on in your neck of the woods. What's the word you want to talk about? Email us at samsanders at npr.org. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here on a special Invisibilia takeover of my show today. (laughs) My guests are the two hosts of Invisibilia, Elise Spiegel and Hannah Rosen. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. I I, I see your hey. And I raise you a hey. Hey. Hey, 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 hey. Okay. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So it's time for our main story. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to use this time this week to let you guys riff on a really interesting big idea that uh, lives in the second episode of your newest season of Invisibilia. And I want you to take this idea and apply it to some of the news of the week. Um, but first, let's lay out the idea. In your second episode, which is which is out now, right? Yep, it's out. Yeah, you guys talk about this concept called norms engineering, the engineering of new norms. Tell folks briefly what that is, and without giving away spoilers, how it occurs in your story. So, so the story is about um, this reality show that was put on in Somalia called Inspire Somalia, and it was. It was a reality show funded and created by the U.N. because they were trying to undermine Islamic extremists, Um, essentially al-Shabaab, which is a kind of Taliban-like extremist group there, banned music. So radio stations and ringtones Hmm. and people responded to the ban on musical radio by putting music on memory cards in their phone and they would make you swallow those. They started killing musicians. They make you swallow the memory cards. They make you swallow the memory cards. And so the response to this ban on music is a reality show about music? (laughs) Yes. So so al-Shabaab was finally kind of pushed out of the Capitol and they just needed some way to prove to Somali citizens, look, this new UN-backed government is working. And if we show a story where people are out in public singing, if we show this story, then the story will become reality. So Mm. it was a reality show that was literally intended to change reality on the ground through norms engineering. Yeah. So the UN made this American Idol-style reality show not just to entertain people, but to change behavior. And the point there is that sometimes messaging and storytelling and this kind of creation of truth, it can override belief and, like, change behavior. So, like, I want us to talk about some examples of norms engineering that we see in our politics today. I am honored to be here today. There was a really interesting example I saw this week where a thing that years ago you wouldn't say... It seems as if Steve Bannon has made it okay to say he was appearing uh, with Marine Le Pen in France. Uh, She's a very right-wing politician there. And in front of a group of supporters, he said, Let them call you racist. 
Laissez-vous appeler raciste. Mais laissez-vous appeler xénophobes. Let them call you nativist. Laissez-vous les appeler nativistes. Wear it as a badge of honor. Portez-le comme un badge d'honneur. That was an amazing instance of norms engineering. The rest of his speech, history is on our side. It's happening in Korea. It's happening in France. This is bigger than all of you. It's happening in Italy. Like, he's telling a story that it's already a fact. Right. And you see that in Trump a lot, too. Like, whatever, you'll notice if you look at his language, he'll, he uses this idea. Everybody is saying. Everybody feels. N- n- nobody. So, for example, just this week, in terms of the, the, the debate around guns, he came out and he said, nobody supports any kind of gun, the, the gun restrictions that he said, I think, last week that he would support. But right? that's not true. But oh, and it's, it's not the opposite of the but, truth. But yeah. his goal in the way that he uses his language is to give the impression that everything is headed in a certain direction and and then people feel the need to kind of follow along. Well, but, you know, but also, though, it's like when you think of like norms engineering, that is just what all politicians want to do all the time. They want to say something long enough to you're like, huh. Okay, and Donald Trump's very good at that. I mean, like if yeah. you think about him linguistically and like as a messenger and as a, a person who talks words, he is very effective at messaging. He is very good at norms engineering. Even the way that we see this week Rex Tillerson getting fired through a tweet. We're all like, oh, that's how it is now. Well, actually, the amazing thing about the Rex Tillerson thing, this is so Trumpy and this is how he talks, is he said Rex Tillerson's going to be very happy about this. And, you know, I wish... Rex, a lot of good things. I think he's going to do, uh, I think he's going to be very happy. I think Rex will be much happier now, but I really appreciate his service. Wow. That to me is the amazing thing that he does, puts out the message that Rex Tillerson's going to be happy about this. And then that's kind of the new reality, you know? One of the things that I found most interesting to think about once this idea of norms engineering was introduced to me was that. What if the biggest instance of norms engineering that we're seeing happen right now in real time is the Me Too movement? Huh. Interesting. What do you mean? Does it fit? I mean, like we're having a conversation to change the norms of the way that men behave in the workplace. But it's more how we do it. So the Mm. particular kind of norms engineering that we're talking about is telling stories. It's not like changing people's minds or changing workplace policies. That's not the kind of norms engineering we're talking about. So when you mentioned Me Too, what I'm thinking is, have we normalized... Like, it's an anecdote. The same way gun, the gun war is an anecdote war, like who can tell mm. the best tell the anecdote. Best story, yeah. Is there an element of Me Too that's like that, where a certain kind of storytelling or telling a story about your life becomes more and more acceptable, so we create a kind of cultural space for it. We don't silence it. We allow it to happen. We recognize it as soon as somebody starts talking about it, you know, whether it's domestic violence or sexual abuse or harassment. It's like we've created a space for a certain kind of stories. Since you guys have reported this story and dug into this idea of norms engineering, that you can change behavior through what through, by changing what we think is acceptable, have you been looking at things differently? Yes, I have. I mean, well, first of all, the, the story, it is about this kind of something that happened in Somalia, but it's also, in a way, it's about Russian meddling here because hmm. essentially the Russians were trying to norms engineer, uh, to, to change our norms. Like they wanted to create the perception that hatred of Hillary Clinton was a lot more prevalent than it was, that um, that there anti immigrant sentiment. That, that is part of what huh. the kind of meddling was. But I have been thinking a lot, you know, how is my television norming me? How are, how, 
how are the stories that I am absorbing, how are they norming me in ways that I cannot see? That that seems to me to be one of the other things that this story could raise for people. It certainly has raised for me. So basically what we're saying here is the thing that we kind of know to be true. You know, facts matter, truth matters, but the story is really what gets you. Well, I don't know. Like, that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. Do facts matter or can you call a new reality into being simply by telling the right story about it? To find out, listen to Invisibilia Season 4, Episode 2. That's right. God, it's very fascistic when you put it that way. <laughs> All right, you guys, it's time for one more quick break. When we come back, we'll play my favorite game. It is not normal at all. It's called Who Said That? We'll also hear the best things that happened to our listeners all week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club. Discover hand-selected wines from award-winning vineyards around the world. Learn the stories behind each one and enjoy unique bottles inspired by your favorite NPR shows. All with the convenience of home delivery. A special welcome offer includes a bottle of weekend edition Cabernet Sauvignon. If you're 21 years or older, join in the fun at nprwineclub.org. What's unique about the human experience and what do we all have in common? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey through the big ideas, emotions, and discoveries that fill all of us with wonder. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for my favorite game. It is called Who Said That? I can tell already that I'm going to fail. Everyone thinks that. Really? Everyone makes the stakes higher than they are because you know the stakes are so low. Like, the winner of this game gets nothing. Really? Not, but except for pride. Pride. Pride, you're right, you're right. The and game is simple. Oh, go ahead. Hannah to have more pride than me, not yeah. me. All right, so go ahead. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that, or at least get close. Get the story, get a keyword, something in the area, right? I'm terrified. Three questions, the winner gets bragging rights and nothing else. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. First quote. I've watched hundreds of hockey games from the stands at Madison Square Garden, but I can't wait to get inside the glass. Stormy Daniels. (laughs) No. It was a woman. She was a guest commentator for a pro hockey game. Can I say Stormy Daniels again? No. You just did. We need an actress. We need an actress. (laughs) Should I just tell you guys? Yeah. Susan Sarandon. Uh, really? She made an appearance oh. at a pro hockey game this week, and NBC had her on doing like a color commentary segment called Inside the Glass. And Twitter was very mad that they allowed her to talk about hockey on TV. I thought it was fine. Here's some tape of it. First impressions? Well, it's very fast. You know, the closer you get, it doesn't... I mean, I've been in the stands before, but when you see it on TV, you can't imagine how fast it is and how strong it is. It's really fun down here. I saw you talking so why were people mad that Susan she, Sarandon... She doesn't sound like she was doing a good job. Well, I mean, I've, my theory is that people... One, the audience on Twitter watching her video of commentating on hockey is different from, like, actual hockey fans that were there at the game. And, you know, a large portion of political liberal Twitter is just still mad at Susan Sarandon over the election. Uh, she was one of Bernie Sanders' most uh, strident supporters. 
and she was a liberal who never ended up supporting Hillary Clinton. And some people on the internet say that she was part of why Hillary lost. I think it's about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Susan, why do why you do you? <laughs> Next quote. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. And you can even just get close Stormy to Stormy Daniels. <laughs> no? no, no. Here's the quote. Uh, Jeffrey the giraffe just sent me a LinkedIn invitation. Jeffrey the giraffe, what's he, what, what's he about? We have been doing other things this week, like, <laughs> like finishing. Um, it's a mascot for a, a certain store that was oh, in the news oh, this week. Oh, Toys R Us. Yes. You both get it. Toys R Us. This was a tweet sent by Simi Kostanowicz after he heard the news that Toys R Us is closing all of its U.S. stores. So he was joking that their mascot, Jeff the Draft, was going to be in need That's of a new funny. job. That's funny. I, actually, I, know. I actually read that story. I wasn't that sad. But it's the end of an era, though. I grew up in Toys R Us. Yeah. Did you guys do Toys R Us? My now? mother just gave me nails to play with. Rusted <laughs> nails. <laughs> oh, no. You guys aren't Toys R Us nostalgic at all? No, like literally I never went to the store. <laughs> like, that was, I was actually being I'm a little sad accurate. about it. I mean, also, like, so Toys R Us right now employs more than 30,000 people. They have about yeah. 735 stores across the country. They announced bankruptcy last September. Uh, so this kind of was in the air already. But dang, I'm going to yeah. miss it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last quote. This is to like figure out who actually wins because you guys are tied one one because you both get that last really? point. Yeah, I think I'm, I said I'm, it I'm first, but you know it is on tape. So <laughs> it is on tape. We we'll can go back a, and to it. We yeah. can rewind the tape. Yeah, yeah. As long as you get close to whatever this is, I'll give somebody a point. You ready? Uh-huh. Here's a quote. I am told that I will be fined because I was open seven days a week, yet I only did my job. Who said that? Wait. You know it? No, but say it again. Wait, (laughs) I'm close to knowing it. I am told that I will be fined because I was open seven days a week, yet I only did my job. Um, Wait a second. It's in a country that has really strict rules about how long you can work every week. Oh, France. It's France. Oh. 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 You win. You win. Elise wins. You win. A French baker was fined for literally working too hard and having his shop open too long. His name is Cedric, and I'm not going to mispronounce his last name. That is spelled V-A-I-V-R-E. And he runs a bakery called the Boulangerie du Lac. And there is actually a decree, an ordinance that says in France, bakeries have to be closed at least one day a week. He had his bakery open seven days a week. And he got a fine. Man, Americans love stories like that. <laughs> yes, we do. About he the was, Europeans who have to, you know, quit yeah, at four He was o'clock. fined almost $3,700. Really? Just because last summer he wanted to accommodate a steady stream of tourists and he kept his doors open and his ovens running seven days a week. That's amazing. Wow. You can't do that there. That guy's going to get like an automatic visa. <laughs> you get like a genius visa to America. At least you won. I, I won. I know. And this, I will use this to make her feel bad for at least the next 24 hours. It's all good. That concludes Who Said That. Uh, thank you both for playing. All right. Now it's time to end the show. As we always do, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Let's take a listen. Brent, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. It's Cam calling from Vancouver, B.C., Um, The best thing that happened to me this week was after two years of saving all of my tips and a little bit of my paycheck every two weeks, I was finally able to buy Mm. VIP stage side (laughs) tickets to see my queen Beyonce Ah. and Jay-Z, their final tour stop this fall, and I'm so, so excited. I'm excited for you. Um, 
Thanks for the show. Yeah. Bye. Hi, Sam. It's Deidre from Chicago. Hey there. And the best thing that's happened to me this week is I paid off my college student loans. That is a good feeling. I just learned I matched into an internal medicine residency program. Congrats, man. My wife gave birth to our beautiful twin healthy baby boys. Aww on Monday morning and we couldn't be happier. Yeah. Hi Sam, it's Luke from London. Hey there. The best thing that happened to me all week is that I took my parents out for afternoon tea. I am stuffed full of scone and I am very happy. <laughs> hey Sam, my name is Julia. Hey Julia. The best thing that happened to me all week was that after four years on a wait list, I'm finally checking into my flight to begin my journey to Antarctica wow. where I'm going to run a marathon. Oh my goodness. Hey Sam, this is Nina calling from Austin, Texas. Hey. Last year, I unexpectedly became allergic to bee stings. Ooh. I've been going to the doctors every week for the last 40 weeks to get allergy shots to lessen my allergic reaction. This is the first week I don't have to go, which is awesome yeah. seeing I just got admitted to grad school to study, you guessed it, bees. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Today, the best thing in my world is that my daughter is two years old. Hey, happy birthday. This is Rosalind, and she lives outside Boston. Say hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hey! Hi, Sam. My name is Tim Jenkins. I'm calling from Mongolia. Hey, Tim. Today is my 33rd birthday, but that's not the best part of my week. The best part was receiving my adoption papers. So, after 25 years, Robert Wilson, the man who's been my dad nearly all of my life, uh. is officially and legally my father. Uh. Oh, that actually makes oh, me man. want to cry. I love your show. Thanks. Thanks. See you on Twitter. Bye, Sam. Bye. Bye, Sam. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, man. Special thanks to all the voices you just heard there. Cameron, uh, you better say how to Beyonce for me. Deidre, Kent, Mike, Luke, Julia, Nina, Sylvia, and Rosalind. Hi, Rosalind. And Tim, uh, we listen to all of these that come in, but we can't play them all. But keep sending all of them. Anytime throughout any week, just email me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Also, send me dog photos. I love those. And cats, too. Cats, too. That's fine. All right, guys. Elise, Hannah, thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you. you. That was so much fun. We're throwing back to our dancing song, Kante uh, Atotos from Sango. Yeah. Uh, I hope you guys dance all weekend. We will. We will. Yeah, yeah. All right. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. The show was edited by Allison McAdam and Jeff Rogers. And our big boss is NPR's VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Refresh your feeds Tuesday morning for a really meaty chat. I'm talking with Jen Palmieri. She was Hillary Clinton's communications director in her last campaign for president. She has a new book out where she talks all about the election with this really insider point of view. Check the feeds Tuesday for that. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. What are y'all's vocal warm-ups? Uh, what are our vocal warm-ups? I'm looking for good ones. I do, like, mad weird vocal warm-ups. Do I'm, one. like, a very, like, like... You really want me to do one? I straight up want okay. to do one. It's going to hurt your ears. This it's is the good. one for the, like, upper nasal, so you sort of loosen up the kind of upper tones. Uh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Three, two, one. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> no! I'm going to do it again, okay? No! no you no, have to no. do the okay. most obnoxious up-in-your-nose meow you can imagine, okay? Oh Everyone God. do okay. it with me. Oh but super obnoxious, do not Count hold back. Count Three, two, one. One. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Thank you. Uh-oh.